Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Home Field Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. I'd like to thank you for once again joining us here at the Hello, Old Sports podcast. We have a very interesting and unique episode for you today, but before we begin, I just would like to remind you all to please engage with the show like us on Facebook, Hello Old Sports Podcast. Email us with uh, ideas, comments, show suggestions at helloldsports at gmail.com. And as always, please like, rate, and follow us on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. We've got some really good episodes coming up, especially as we get into the spring and into the baseball season. And you may notice a little bit of a, a different voice, and I think more importantly, you may notice the lack of a specific voice here tonight. Uh, this is Dan, and I am flying solo, at least from a host point of view tonight. I do have a special guest, and I will introduce him in a moment, but Andrew is not joining us tonight. Said I am joined by a college roommate of mine, Ben Meyer Abbott, and we're going to talk about something a little bit unique tonight. If you are a sports fan, and particularly if you are a sports history fan, one of the things that you probably are a fan of in one aspect or another is the idea of a simulation and simulating teams or players from across the years, across the eras to see who exactly would come out on top and i've done quite a bit of this in my own right i've played a number of computer games whether it's a baseball mogul or out of the park baseball football mogul is another one second and ten football action pc football action pc basketball all of these i've also done quite a bit with playstation games nba 2k is especially one that has a lot of really good historical content. They have an all-time team, a 15-player all-time team for each of the 30 franchises in NBA history. I think you heard Andrew and I reference that a few weeks back when we did our episode on the all-time NBA starting fives for each team. MLB The Show has a number of great historical players, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, Willie Mays, Ty Cobb. NHL is another one, alumni teams for all 30 or 31 NHL teams. And so I'm just a big fan of whether it's on the computer or whether it's on the PlayStation of putting teams, whether it's specific teams or specific players into leagues, tournaments, you name it, and simulating, seeing who comes out on top, seeing who wins, coming up with a bracket, all of that type of stuff. And if you are a baseball fan, you are probably familiar with the board game, the baseball historical board game universe. And it was one that kind of came into being 50 years ago uh, or so now. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about my discovery and my interest in Stratomatic Baseball. And I think they just celebrated their 50th or something anniversary. And so 
a lot of really cool stuff you can do. And so I thought it would be cool to talk with, I guess you'd call it an aficionado of this type of thing. And that is uh, my college roommate, Ben Meyer Abbott, who is a fan of a game called Superstar Baseball. And to call him a fan would be probably a gross understatement. He is somewhere between a devotee and a mogul, I guess I would say, (laughs) uh, in that he not only is somebody who plays the game, but also has basically created entire new leagues and players and rule books and everything, all that type of thing. And so let me first just start off, Ben, welcome to the Hello Old Sports podcast. Hey, Dan, thank you for having me. And it's too bad Andrew's not here, but I can tell you, um, I hope to be the person who shares his love of the polo grounds and and represents that on the show. God. He'll, uh, he will appreciate that. Why don't you first sort of I want to get into your background with the game, but let's talk about the game a little bit itself for those who may not know. Now, the game is called Superstar Baseball. Is that right? Yeah, Avalon Hill Sports Illustrated Superstar Baseball. Can you give me a little bit of the, um, and I'm looking at the description on on a website on tabletopbaseball.org. It says, the Avalon Hill Superstar Baseball game originally dates back to 1971 when it was called Sports Illustrated Baseball. In 1973, the all-time All-Star Baseball game was released. The game included each of the original AL and NL teams franchises with the 25 best players from each team's history, hence the name All-Time All-Star Baseball. It later became Superstar Baseball. So if you can, sort of tell us a little bit about the basics of the game, the background, the history, all that type of thing. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it's born out of you know an era of tabletop games when there are you know various types of baseball board games you've got your stratomatics um you even got like all-star baseball which was it's the one um it's got like these little discs that you put into like the batter spot and the pitcher spot and then you'll spin go you'll flick a little spinner did you <laughs> ever play that one i haven't played it but i've seen it yeah and they all trade on the same ideas that that you're working uh, with percentages, which essentially is what baseball is. And then the idea is that as the manager, you can affect those percentages with the decisions that you make. And the thing that we like to tell ourselves is that <laughs> we are we we could manage a a baseball team of all time greats and uh, beat our closest friends and family <laughs> with <laughs> with our baseball knowledge and decisions. (laughs) So give us a little bit more about the, the mechanics. When you sit down to play a game, you're playing against me and we each have a team. How does it work? Yeah. So we've each got a team. We've got 25. You've got 25. Um, You would pick your pitcher for the day. I would pick my pitcher for the day. Um, Then we make a lineup. And then when it comes uh, time to do the actual game, the pitcher goes first. The pitcher rolls. If the if there's a result based on the, the pitcher's card and the roll, that's the result of the play. If it's a blank, then it goes to the hitter. And whatever the result of the hitter's roll is the result of the play. The game revolves around what we call 10 to 39 dice. It's three different dice. Uh, one is a black die, and then there are two white dies. The black die has three threes, two twos, one one. Those are the 10 digit. And then you add up the two white dice together. And those can be 
anywhere between zero and nine, and then you take that and you add it to the 10 dice result. So if you rolled a two uh, on the black die, a four on one of the white die, and a three on one of the white die, you're looking at a 27. Then you reference it on the card, and then you see where the result is. How long does a typical game usually last? Well, depending on intensity, but... (laughs) (laughs) If nobody gets in a fight... Right, right. How long Um, does it take? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. That's also one of the things that kind of drew us to the game. Is it, you know, you can play a game in 20 minutes, and you you can do a series in an hour, or you can do a series in an hour and a half, depending... And then because of uh, COVID and, and the league that we had created, <laughs> obviously we weren't able to get together and we wanted to keep it going. And so I sort of went through what I figured out I could do with Excel and I created an Excel version of the game. And that actually gets gameplay down to like 12 minutes. And mm-hmm. we were off and rolling. It was great. I remember playing with you and especially the first couple times and I kind of needed to remind myself that I was an intelligent person and that, and that my brain worked at a normal pace because you would have rolled the dice and picked them up knowing what had <laughs> happened, knowing who's, you know, so Babe Ruth's up. It's like, Oh, 27. Okay. That's a double play for him. All right. All right. And I'm just like, okay, like, <laughs> Don't even, and I guess the other thing you should mention or that I should mention or somebody should mention, it would have to be one of the two of us, I guess. You have different splits for a left-handed pitcher versus a right-handed batter and vice versa. So if a 33 for a guy is a home run against a righty, it might be a double or a pop-out or whatever um, against a lefty. So I'm sorry, we had some technical difficulties there. I was just saying that one of the things that should be noted is that sometimes... you know, a, a 33 for somebody might be a home run against a right-handed pitcher, but then against a left-handed pitcher, it's a strikeout or a, you know, a double or, or just whatever. So that's another cool feature is that they take the lefty-righty split into account. That's right. Yeah, you, you can you can choose to flip somebody around and, and really sort of try and attack their weak side, which, I mean, goes into how, you know, you end up evaluating players and how you end up making managers' decisions just – as you would as a real manager. Yeah, and I mean, you, you, weren't sort of, you weren't kidding about sort of how you described how I feel about the game. I've often described uh, it as, as my family's religion, and I say that with my dad being a, a Methodist minister. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and while I, I don't share any sort of uh, religious sentiment, I, I do feel like I am an evangelist for this game. And through the years, I have uh, I have tried to convert many people to what I see as the gospel of card baseball. And just to um, just to uh, sort of maybe maybe close that loop. Uh, years ago, when I was a part of the league, which I guess I'm I'm a part of it again now. But years ago, when I was a part of it for the first time, we went out to Ben's family's house in California to have our draft, and his father took the weekend off from his job as a minister to do the card baseball draft. So take, take that as what you will, as far as which, um, <laughs> that's which right. Is, which did. is the religion in the family. <laughs> so I, I want to get into your experiences with it, but just to sort of set the table just a little bit more, this was made, I guess there were a few versions throughout the seventies and then they stopped. Yeah, there, there were a couple different versions. The, the version that we were familiar with 
1978 version. I think there might have been another printing in, I want to say, 81, which I think might be the blue box, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that, that's sort of the game that, that we go off of. And I mean, I know, yeah, like we were talking about with, with you know, All-Star Baseball and Stratomatic, that everybody's got sort of their, if you're, if you're in like the baseball board game world, you know, everybody's got their own specific flavor that they like. And the Stratomatic guys are the Stratomatic guys. And got, I think there's the A, B, A, P, B, A guys and all that kind of stuff. But I, I've always just felt like Superstar Baseball or card baseball, as we just call it, is just the the simplicity of it, the the rhythm of it, has been more preferential for for us, and and how they streamline like defensive stuff. But you know, I mean, of course, we've also spent uh, the last twenty years also complicating it with a rule book that's expanded <laughs> page on page. So yeah, and I actually um, I just very recently got into. Stratomatic about six months ago and uh, my wife and I went to the Hall of Fame and I picked up a, a version that was the Hall of Fame version. It has cards for each Hall of Famer and then I've since ordered subsequent sets of like, you know, different players who aren't in the Hall of Fame and there's a Negro League set and, and all of that type of thing. And in fact, actually, I uh, just uh, got delivered uh, my latest sets last week. When did you first start playing the game? The first time I remember seeing the game, not even playing the game, <laughs> would be like uh, my dad, like after after he got home from from work. Sometimes if, you know, like if he had a, like a free moment, he would be sort of rolling a game by himself. And we, we sort of would we'd be being like, we're like, what's going on? He's like, don't worry about it. It's not for you. Um, <laughs> what, what what crazy kid thinks that a board game is something that they should be interested in? I, I well, I, exactly. <laughs> but it was it was clearly I don't know something that was much. There was a level of seriousness going on <laughs> that that didn't lend itself to like you know uh, an eight year old being like, well, well, what about what about that? You're not playing a game. You're playing by yourself. How can you say you're doing that? And. Um, then, then it kind of disappeared for a little while. We found it in in the uh, in the back of a closet one year, and we we brought it on out. And my dad's like, "Okay, you know, I, I was probably like 13 at that time, and he says maybe maybe we all want to give this a go." And and so I remember we played a game, and I just I think it was like the seventh inning, and Phil Rizzuto was up, and. Like I was like super just dialed in on what decisions I wanted to be making. And I was like, yeah, we could do this. We could do this. And I think it was a week later we had our first draft. And I think you know this. I mean, there are many happy, happy days in, in any sort of fantasy sports player's year, but I defy anyone to beat the, uh, the happiness of the, the day of the draft. I think that honestly – in a lot of ways, and I don't know, maybe this speaks just to what a dork I've been my whole life, but setting it up in a lot of ways is always the most fun. You know, yes. setting up the league, setting up the, I mean, even now when I'm, you know, got a free night and I'm setting up a league of, uh, you know, on NBA 2K of the, the historic teams I want in there, a lot of times I'll get through setting it up and then I'll be like, eh, you know, I don't really feel like playing it. You know, I remember even as a kid, you know, my brother and I would play with our wrestling figures and we'd set up tournaments like, you know, 32 man wrestling tournaments. And half the time you'd play three matches and you'd be like, I don't really feel like doing this. But just the setting it up, like the, the conceptualizing of it can be the most fun. So question that I wanted to ask 
at the end, but okay. I think you mentioning it as you know, you started like your dad telling you you weren't interested or he, you know, he wasn't interested in you playing, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah. As an yeah. eight-year-old, it kind of prompts me to ask this now and then we'll get back into sort of the historical arc. You have a daughter who is close to seven. Is that right? Yeah, she'll be seven in November. Yeah. Okay. So, so no, it's, a, it's only March. I, I was in Florida for a month, so it doesn't feel like it's March to me. So <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but um, okay. So your daughter's six and a half, you know, yeah. that general age range. When will you introduce her to card baseball for the first time? Oh, um, I might be breaking some news for you. She is getting involved with a uh, sort of an apprentice team this year. She's uh, she's taking over my expos. Okay. And, and um, we'll be, you know, I'll be making sure that, you know, we stay on the rails and everything. But we're, we're talking through all the decisions. One of the proudest moments of my life was two weeks ago when we're chatting about what we want to do with the 31st overall pick in the second round, as every father does with their six-year-old daughter. Naturally. And naturally. And I said, well, there's this guy and, you know, we, we need pitching on this team. We're going to need a second baseman. We need defense. Turns out there's this guy, he does all of that and he's fast and he's great. His name is Martin DeHigo. He, he plays every position and he's a pitcher there's only one problem. And she looks at me and she's like, he's on a one-year contract. <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> so do you think, whether it's for your daughter or, or for yourself or your brothers or whoever, do you think that the game made you more of a baseball fan in general? Let me, let me put it this way. Let me, let me ask you, with your daughter, do you think that playing the game might make her more interested in baseball just generally yes i do no I, she she's interested in it and she's also just um i mean she just likes the fun of it you know i mean we, i'm excited about it you know i mean she she remembers this this last um postseason sort of um me and her sort of staying up in her room and the lights are out but we're on her bed and we've got the radio coming in from the other room and it's it's the padres you know postseason against the the Cardinals and then the Dodgers. And and so she she sort of just had a lot of fun experiencing mm-hmm. baseball the old way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and I mean of course, you know, if if you love a baseball board game like that, uh, I'm I'm all about yeah, you know, radio broadcasts. And that was honestly that was one of my early memories too, driving around listening to a doubleheader with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, I mean her it's coming along and and you know, I mean she also the thing I love about the game too is like, I mean, I think about it as just like a meditation on baseball and, and you just, you can, not only are you learning about all these players and what they can do, but you're also learning about just sort of how all the players end up working together and, and what kind of a team you can put together. I mean, you know, she's six. She's never, she's seen one baseball game. I took her to a Padres game. I mean, she's got no concept. I mean, no six-year-old does, but you know, she does know that Ted Williams is the best player in the draft. <laughs> and it's it's just a way of introducing, you know, her to all that stuff. And now now she knows all these names. And, you know, we've got the the eighth overall pick. And we're talking about, uh, do we want Willie Mays? Do we want Yogi Berra? Do we want um, Tom Seaver? And, you know, it just sort of, I don't know, it seeps into your blood, right? Absolutely. So 
you sort of bring me to a specific point. So why don't we just let's just back up a little bit again. The game that you played yes. as a kid. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, give us an idea of sort of the universe of of players that were included in the game? Yeah, so the 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 set that we had growing up was primarily just the original 96. And then my dad augmented that set. He started a correspondence with somebody who made cards and had posted a like a like a an ad for his services in one of the old like baseball board game like circulars or whatever that were available. And so they they did that and then uh, when our family moved out to Maui in Hawaii, my, my dad continued that correspondence and he would get cards from this guy. And as payment, my dad would send back like macadamia nuts <laughs> and other stuff from Hawaii, which was exotic during the 80s. And, and so we accumulated some cards that way. Uh, and then after that, my dad made a few cards too. And, and by the end, I don't, know, I don't know how many cards we had. It wasn't a ton. Um, but it was enough to make two different leagues of, of four teams each. So we had eight teams and we would play an NL uh, where all four of us had one team and we would play an AL league where all four of us had one team. And then, you know, we would try and get to the World Series. And so at this point, we're talking about, you know, the big guys, the Ruth, Mantle. Yes. Mays, you know, Cy Young, Cy Young, Christy Mathewson, DiMaggio. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One thing I remember, and it's possible that I'm remembering this wrong. I seem to remember that you had, that DiMaggio was not in the game and you had like I, a handwritten DiMaggio card. I, I don't. I, I forget if he. There was. There might have been a, a licensing issue with him way back when, and I don't even know if that's true or if for some reason that card got lost. But I, I know that in some sets, uh, Jackie Robinson was sort of added later on, and for some reason his card was blue in our in our game. Mm-hmm. And then some of the, I, I remember the Ed Delahanty was a because uh, was like a handmade card from the, the guy that my dad corresponded with. And I think DiMaggio was a handmade card too. I've still got that original set. It's, you know, it's one of my prized possessions. I think it always kind of made sense with me for DiMaggio just because I, you always just knew him to be so protective of himself, his name, his image. And when I first saw that DiMaggio was not a, you know, a regular old printed card, it just made sense to me that maybe there was some sort of a licensing issue, obviously, with, with his name. Was this the only game of this sort that you played, you know, either as a kid or have you tried other games as an adult, be it other baseball games or maybe other sports? Are you aware of anything comparable that you've actually had firsthand experience with? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you, I always loved leagues. I always loved seasons, you know, like uh, when we were doing video or computer games growing up, you know, I was just about the sports ones or we could do seasons and stuff like that. And um, kind of like you growing up, you got you had your wrestling league. When I was tiny, I had a, a racing league with the, all my like trucks and cars. <laughs> it was like a 20, it was a 20 uh, game uh, circuit where everybody played each other twice. 
and that but for the baseball stuff i i played that all-star one the spinner with my brother were those real players also those were real players and those were you know real percentages or whatever and it really it it'll mess up your fingers like it the way with the way we went at it like (laughs) and then i also remember um on a church retreat with my dad he had another game another board game and this one i think was like baseball strategy or strategy baseball and and this is the one where you know you have like a pitcher's cards and then you have hitters cards and then so the pitcher plays their card face down the hitter plays their card face down and the pitcher reveals whether or not they've thrown a fastball a curveball a change up a slider a pitch out and then the batter kind of reveals like something along the lines of uh, a contact swing swing for the fences, bunt, all that kind of stuff. And then based on those two variables, you look up the result. And so I remember playing that with my dad and, and that was always sort of interesting and fun. But as a, as like a, you know, 10 year old, you're just gonna, you're gonna get out thought by an adult all the time. <laughs> Although I will say, I think about that game a lot because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out ways to incorporate stuff from real baseball and stuff from other games into card baseball. And one of the things I want to be able to eventually get into the game is the pitch out, which we don't have in, in card baseball, but it'd be nice if, if we could. And, and that as something that I always remembered from that baseball strategy game where they had that as a, as an option. So we played that. Yeah. We would play various baseball things, but the first time we ever sort of put together a league was shortly after I played it for the first time. And my dad's like, well, if you want to do that, you know, like make up a schedule and, and we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. And yeah, our first, our first season was, uh, I think it was the 24 game season where everybody played eight games against the, the other three teams in the league. And then, um, I, I really, I liked the old school NHL playoffs where you had to fight your way out of your own division. Old school end 2021. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's what they've gone to with the pods because of the the Canada teams and everything. Yeah, so you started this league, kind of went along. Do you have a player or maybe a player or two who from those early days was was a favorite of yours in the game? Oh, yeah. I actually, I sponsored sponsored Hooks Wiltsy on uh, Baseball Reference. (laughs) You know, I I don't know if you could still do that, but I did. I, I sponsored Hooks Wiltsey for at least two years just because I, he was a, a member of uh, of two of my World Series winning teams. And, and I always thought he was like this sort of secret weapon. Turns out the guy who made it made him too good. And he wasn't, in reality, he wasn't as good as, as his card was at the time. And we've since uh, adjusted him down and, and, and sort of uh, put him where he, he should be. But I, I always had a soft spot for Hooks Wiltsey. Hooks Wiltsey played for the Giants from 1904 to 1914. In 1908, he pitched a perfect game through 26 batters until he hit Philadelphia Phillies pitcher George McQuillan. Yes. I have to say that's a bold move when you have 26 outs against you and you're, the other guy's pitching a no-hitter and you still send the pitcher up to bat. That is a, that's a bold <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold baseball decision, and this was the only occurrence of a pitcher losing a perfect game with two outs in the ninth inning by hitting a batter until personal hero of mine, Washington Nationals pitcher Max Scherzer did so on June 20th, 2015, but unlike Wiltsey, Scherzer had a 6-0 lead, and the game was tied 
It was zero to zero, and they still let the pitcher hit. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, the pitcher was going to go all 14 or whatever it ended exactly. up being. Exactly. All right, so you like Hooks Wiltsy. So let's fast forward a little bit. Wait, you know, can I stop you? You can. It's stuff like that that I love about this game is that you you know you you playing with some of these guys and then you look up sort of information about them just because you've been playing them and enjoying them and you come across stories like that mm-hmm. and it's just it's just so fun and I think you might remember on the um, the original set that I had you could you know, on the back of the card that that wasn't the playing side they had like a biography that had like the player stats and had like sort of like a quick synopsis of what they did during their career. Yeah. Um, so I should, um, again, another digression, but that's fine. So Ben was my roommate, my freshman year of college. He was a junior. I was a freshman, obviously, because yeah. that's what I just said. And he had moved in a couple days before me and had taken the room by the window even though, and then the rub of the story is, is that he would spend a lot of evenings with his then girlfriend, now wife and mother of his daughter. And True. so he would not be there a lot of times. And I remember there was one afternoon, it was during the week probably. And I went to look out the window, you know, I, I heard something outside or whatever. And as I was walking back, I happened to look on Ben's desk and I saw this stack of cards and like the back of it was like, something to do with, you know, Honus Wagner and like a, a biography of him on the back of his thing. And I was like, you know what? This guy's not going to come home in the next couple of hours. Whatever this is, I'm taking it off his desk and I'm reading all of these little biographies because I was like, I found something with baseball history in this uh, in this dorm room that I didn't bring in. So that was, uh, yeah. So I, I remember sitting and reading all of those little bios. Of, and I think I asked you about it the next time I saw you. It was a veteran move on my part to take the bed by the window. <laughs> yeah, and then leave it. For, and then know. just never use it, yeah. But, and, and I think you sort of you reminded me of a point I was going to make, which is that, and Andrew and I have talked about this, and it's been discussed other places. In a lot of ways, for a number of reasons, this only really works with baseball. Yes. Um, it's because the history goes so far back. And look, don't get me wrong. I love the history of other sports. I love talking about George Mikan or Red Grange or, you know, Newt Rockney or whoever. But baseball, I think, because it's such a different sport, because the individual players sort of matter so much. And also just because of the mechanics of it, Stratomatic, and I haven't tried these, but they have games for football, basketball, hockey. And, and I don't know, maybe I'll try them out one day, but it's just... First of all, it seems like it would be hard to capture as realistically. And second of all, it just feels like it would have to be clunky. Whereas for baseball, I feel like it works. Every player in baseball matters. If there were a card football game, how would you quantify what each linebacker meant or what each offensive lineman meant? Whereas in baseball you can say, okay, you know, this is the defensive rating of my team because I have a really good shortstop. I've got Ozzie Smith at shortstop, but I have, I don't know who, who sucked at second base, Chuck Knobloch at second base. <laughs> so it's, you know, these things, they balance each other out. So I think that that's, that's another reason why I think it works better with baseball than it does with the other sports. I think more than all the other sports, baseball translates through the years you know, better. You know, I mean, you know, you're in, in baseball, 
baseball has gone or, you know, baseball stats, baseball statisticians have gone to such lengths to sort of, you know, take everything into account and equalize for everything. And, and that way you can even get um, a, a more direct comparison between the two eras of, of anything. You know I mean, you know, take it back to the 1890s or the 1920s or the 1950s and you can at least you know, come to, uh, maybe it's not exact, but you can come to some sort of approximation that you can absolutely work with and have a really good time with. Absolutely. So, and I'll, I'll sort of, you know, just kind of summarize your, your, your story here for a, a little while. So you, ha- you kind of have this league and you're doing with your parents and, and, or sorry, with your, with your, with your father and your brothers and everything. At some point, you made the decision that you were going to undergo a, a sort of a real overhaul and sort of, yeah. So talk to me about that because you've now created a game with, I don't know what the number is, 10 times as many players as were in the original game. So talk to me about sort of a little bit about why you decided to do that and then kind of the process. Yeah, I think probably the original game we had, um, there was enough for a 24 team, eight, 24 team leagues i don't know what that gets you to i'll 200 ish players Mm -hmm. but um it was you know it's just it was just four teams in a league three teams made the playoffs and we always talked about how it would be better if you know there it was more like a real league and you know we weren't you know you if you drafted uh christy matheson in the first round you wouldn't be able to get ty cobb in the second round because you know he wouldn't be there after you know 20 teams or whatever and so in the back of our heads, we always sort of had this dream of a, a bigger league. And, and of course, bigger league meant more players. And, and we always wanted to sort of expand our knowledge of, of who these players were and just incorporate them in the league and see all the stuff that they could do. So then, I don't know, a couple of years after college, you know, I just sort of decided that that was something that I wanted to do. And, and then, so then on every day on the way to work, I would be on the train and I'd have my clipboard out and I would, I would have the, uh, the card clipped to one side of it. And then I was, I was, um, writing out basically the, the mathematical information behind the cards because with those 10 to 39 die, um, you've essentially got 216 possible combinations of, of what can happen. And then, so you use those combinations to create percentages that are based on, on those players' careers. And when we did the math for the original game, we sort of figured out where they were placing everybody. And then we expanded the number of players and we did all the math for that. And when that was all done, we had a 20-team league and 743 players. And is that where it stands today, the 743? Yeah. I want to circle back to that number in a second because I have a, a clarifying question to ask on that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. How did you go about deciding which players you wanted to include? In in short, uh, it came down to, should you know about this person? Mm-hmm. If, if you're a baseball fan, should you know who Pi Trainer is? Yes. And should you know who Eddie Collins is? Yes. Should you know who Hardy Richardson is? Yes. And then uh, when we were doing the big expansion is when in, in the original, in the original came to me, we had Satchel Page and we had Josh Gibson from the Negro Leagues, but that was it. But then in the expansion, we made sure to include every Negro League player who was in the Hall of Fame. 
and and do a deep dive in, into them. And that honestly was one of the most fun things about the entire process is learning about guys like Turkey Stearns, Willie Wells, Pop Lloyd, Ray Dandridge, uh, Oscar Charleston, all these guys, and and sort of appreciating what they were and what they could do, and you know, reflecting on just the the utter crime it was that they were denied the ability to compete in Major League Baseball and how we all missed out because of it. And that's, you know, I, I think about that a lot when I'm playing with these guys because it's just, you know, it's like <laughs> Turkey Stearns hit 300 this year in, in, a, in our league where league average is like 230. And I was like, Turkey Stearns is amazing. And I can't believe that more people don't know that Turkey Stearns is amazing. <laughs> were there Negro leaguers in the original game? No, no. I think the only one was an, uh, an addition, and that was Jackie. Yeah. Uh, Jackie and, Robinson. Of course. Yeah. Now, obviously, whatever the reasons were, the other thing is that the discovery of the statistics about the Negro Leagues has just been incredible how much they've been able to dig up, even in the last 20 years or so. And I actually, I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that I I help out with uh, Baseball by the Book, uh, the Justin McGuire's podcast. And one of the books I read for him over the fall, and I actually read it the weekend I was in Cooperstown, so that was kind of cool, was a book called Negro Leaguers and the Hall of Fame by an author whose name escapes me at the moment. So I apologize for that. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. And he makes the case for like 24 Negro leaguers who aren't in the Hall of Fame who should be guys like Spot Poles and Home Run Johnson and Cannonball Redding and probably some other guys who don't have this memorable nickname. So I'm not remembering them at the moment. So I did a little research. I pulled out my cards. And here's just four names of guys that are in the game that you put in. Bib Falk. Yep. Tioga Burns. Sure, George, yeah. Fielder, oh, that was George Burns from the, the New York Giants? Yep. Okay, so I know who he is. Fielder Jones, who I believe was on the White Sox at the beginning of the 20th century. I think he was on that Hitless Wonders White Sox team of like 1906. That sounds right. And Clay Carroll, who is sure. a relief pitcher, who I think is probably from the 50s or 60s, I'd imagine, but... Yeah, I think so. I, I always get uh, I always get goofed up. Sometimes I say the twenties, sometimes I say the fifties. Clay Carroll was my mop up guy on uh, on my team this year. Yeah. So, point being, you went really deep. Yes. You went Negro leagues. You went nineteenth century. How far back in the nineteenth century did you go? Uh, well, I think we even, I think we get back into the 1870s because we added, uh, John Montgomery Ward, mm-hmm. Roger Connors in there. He might be the 1890s. Um, I think you even have George Wright. Yeah. George Wright. Absolutely. George Wright, who was one of sort of the founding, he's in the hall of fame, both as a player and as a pioneer. He and his brother, Harry Wright, his brother, Harry Wright, who's like, like 10 years older than him. And they were both players, but George was the one who was a player for longer in with the the team that eventually is, you know, the, the modern day Atlanta Braves, which was the Boston Bean Eaters in the 1870s. I think George Wright is sort of the longest player going back that's in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, you really went back. You really went into the Negro Leagues and you even have a couple of Japanese, I believe, Japanese players. Yeah, yeah. We ended up, um, one year we added Sadaharu O and Masaichi Canada. And Masaichi Canada is the best um, pitcher in Japanese history. And then after that, we added, I think, three more. We added 
Shigeo Nagashima, who was a third baseman, Katsuya Nomura, which, who's a catcher, and Iseo Harimoto, who's this outfielder. Him I've heard of. And yeah, Harimoto is probably the best hitter other than than um, Sadaharo. And and the, like that, the idea that these are people that you should know. Uh, I mean, not only was 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 Harimoto this just you know amazing hitter. Harimoto was. He was he was born in Korea, but his family moved to Japan sometime prior to the end of World War II, and he was actually in Hiroshima, and wow. survived the and survived the A bomb, and to go on and become one of the greatest hitters in Japanese baseball history, and and so is this somebody as a baseball fan who you should know? I, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's a lot of fun doing the research on these guys and finding out about these guys. Yeah. And, and sort of just figuring out what they can do and also where, where you should draw the line. So one of the things I did for this off season was I did like a league wide speed evaluation for, for every player in the league so that they could be sort of, we could make sure that they, all their speeds were being judged on, on the same criteria because it was kind of all over the place when, when we got it and, you know, the, like I was saying, the cards made by one guy might have been different than the cards that my dad made might have been different than the the ones from the original set. So, you know, we we set about just trying to figure that out, and then and then you do things, and you 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 find out that uh, you know over the first uh, or over their five best uh, stolen base seasons, Ricky Henderson, Billy Hamilton, and Vince Coleman stand head and shoulders over anybody else. And, and, you know, you, and then you've got people like Dan Brothers, who, you know, I didn't know really had as much speed as he did. You know, you, you do all that research for yourself. And I wouldn't have done that research if it weren't for this game. You mentioned Dan Brothers. Those of you who have been to the Hello Old Sports webpage on the Sports History Network website will know that my picture is from this summer. It is me at the grave site of Dan Brothers in Wappingers Falls, New York. He was born and raised and uh, obviously later buried in in my hometown where Andrew, the, the, the general area where Andrew still lives. So we are well familiar with Dan Bruthers here on Hello Old Sports. We, before we move on, I just want to, and I think I've done this privately with you, if you ever expand in, into other Japanese players, I want to put in a plug for a guy by the name of Victor Starfin, who, as you might imagine from his name, was not born and raised Japanese. His nickname was actually the Blue-Eyed Japanese. He was an ethnic Russian baseball player in Japan and the first professional pitcher in Japan to win 300 games, 83 career shutouts, which ranks number one all time in Japanese professional baseball. Died at a young age, died at only 40 years old, and I discovered him sort of like you were talking about with this game about people who make rosters in OOTP and out of the park baseball. There's guys that, you know, put, put together rosters and everything. And I, I downloaded a, a Nippon league, which is what the, you know, what the Japanese league is. I downloaded a roster of sort of all stars from the history of those leagues. And so Victor Starfin is somebody I would definitely re- recommend putting in. So just to put in, just to put in a plug, and then if I, I guess also if I have to have a um, a second one is a guy by the name of Eiji uh, Sawamura, who was a baseball player uh, with Japanese. He actually was killed in the Second World War, but he was known for 
in an exhibition, he struck out. I think it was Ruth Gehrig. Hank Greenberg, I think, might have been one of them. It, it was like the same year that Carl Hubble had done something very similar, but he struck out a bunch of future Hall of Famers in a row. So Salomora, but especially Victor Starfin, are two guys that I would very highly recommend. Yeah, there's nothing we enjoy more than finding new guys that we can include in the league. And those guys sound great. They sound perfect. Okay, so you're putting together these new cards. And I know you talked a little bit about this, but you, you talked about what you do when you're try, sort of trying to figure out who the players should be. How do you go about making a card? Like you look at somebody, do you look at their whole career? Do you look at sort of, you know, the peak X number of years? How, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, uh, when I was putting together the big expansion, I, you know, the, there's, there's, the internet is a beautiful thing. And there were groups that, you know, really sort of laid out all the math behind everything. And, and so, and they also talked about how those cards were made for the original set and, and how they did it for their own sets. And that's kind of the fun thing about everybody who does this. We're all, we're all very sort of individualistic and in, in sort of what we are looking to do and, and how we like to do things. I know that there are some people like you who like uh, the out of the park baseball where you're, you're like, you're kind of recreating, you know, the actual baseball year by year. Mm-hmm. And, and then there are other stuff where it's like, uh, you know, I like, frankly, I just, I like the idea of, can I trade Ty Cobb for Ryan Sandberg? I wouldn't do that trade, but yes, you should. Um, but you, no, wouldn't do that, but something like that. But so uh, for me, when I was making the, uh, the cards and then, so you, we, I found out the basic math behind the game, but we, we, in essence, we take a, a player's whole career and then we also look at other things like how many points they hit above league average, how much their slugging percent was above league average. You know, for defense, we're, we're looking at gold gloves, essentially, as, as um, imperfect as that is. And then with the more modern players, we can incorporate that stuff, too. And, and then with the speed stuff, it's, you know, we're just, you just try and find something that's, that you can apply to everybody. I'm sure there's an anecdotal element to it especially with guys who there aren't a ton of stats out there for instance especially when you start and that's what kind of leads into my next question we talked about how negro league uh stats have gotten a lot better but they're still not what they are for the you know the 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 major the american national league and you know maybe similar with with some of the 19th century guys so i'd imagine that was sort of involved qualitative research as well yeah, that was that was a lot of the fun of it too. Is that you know, like it, we couldn't necessarily rely just on the stats with all that. Although you know, you're absolutely right, the stats are getting better. There's a lot of yeah, it was a lot of research into sort of um, stories about these guys and and when they competed uh, against major leaguers and how great they did. And I remember when I was putting together uh, Pop Lloyd's card, and, and um, I saw a story when you know somebody talked to Babe Ruth. And they said, you know, hey, Babe, who's the, the greatest player of all time? And Babe's like, well, I mean, are you talking about just like the white players or everybody? And they're like, everybody. And he's like, Pop Lloyd. Stuff like that really like drives home the idea that these guys could play and they should have been able to play. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so fun to have them in the league now. And by God, if, uh, if our season seven uh, champions didn't have Pop Lloyd and Babe Ruth on the same team. You know, that's one of the great things about baseball. And obviously you have to be careful how you say this because obviously, you know, the Negro leagues were born out of something very negative, very ugly, you know, segregation and prejudice and those things. And I certainly don't want to under 
sell just how brutal that was. But there's just so much to discover when you dive into baseball history, whether it's the Negro Leagues or whether it's, you know, the 19th century guys or, you know, I read a book over the summer about the 19th century World Series and about how, you know, the National League would play the American Association every year. And then later on, when the American Association was gone, they would do just the two teams, you know, the two top teams in the National League. And you're reading about the Detroit Wolverines and Pretzels Geitzen and all these guys who you just, you know, you wouldn't have known about. And again, I, I say this not to denigrate other sports. I'll, I'll talk to you about the Lombardi Packers all all day long. I think that's great. But baseball has this special thing where it's like, and then even if you get a little bit into the Japanese leagues and all that stuff, like there just seems to always be more great players and teams that you can just find. And that is what makes, it's what makes being a baseball fan so much fun. And I think it's also part of what makes something like this so much fun is that there's just, there's always more guys that you can discover. And I think that brings me to my next question, which is, are there specific players in the game? I'm sure there are. Give me, give me the names of some guys who maybe are really good guys to have in the game who you maybe wouldn't think of. I mean, obviously you want Ruth and Williams and Matthewson and, you know, Walter Johnson and whoever else, but do you have some names of some guys who maybe whether it's Negro league guys or just more obscure guys who are, are big time gets in the league, but maybe um, people may not have heard of as much. I guess I would say the first name that comes to mind is Ed Delahanty who played on the Philadelphia Phillies in the 1890s. And then I think the Washington senators very briefly after that, before he died in the middle of a baseball season. <laughs> His death combines baseball and railroads, two of my great loves. <laughs> he just combines so many different things, um, uh, you know, speed, defense, at a position where you don't typically get a lot of defense in the mm -hmm. outfield, and also just, you know, being able to hit. And he was one of the first guys that I remember my dad would pick and who he didn't know anything about. And then he would just use Ed Delahanty to just wreck us. And <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, Ed Delahanty. This one's not like a, a secretive name or anything like that, but I guess I didn't I didn't really have a full appreciation of Andre Dawson honestly until I like had him on my team in the league, and I could I could see the power, the speed, and the defense all working together, even though he might not have had like a batting average that sort of screams out to you as as something that that you would want on your team. And Willie honestly, Willie Wells is, uh, is Negro League Negro shortstop. League, Negro League shortstop. People might not know him, but he's really great. I mentioned Hardy Richardson before. I've always I've I've had him on my team. I think the last three years. And tell who was Hardy Richardson? Hardy Richardson was a uh, he's primarily a second baseman from like the eighteen nineties, and just you know really fast. He played a lot of different positions, none of them all that well, but <laughs> <laughs> he was he was fast and and he could hit and and then you know depending on how you use these guys, you know, you can do any number of things with them. You know, it, it's like, I think about, yeah, it just, you think about the totality of baseball. And so on, on my team with Hardy Richardson, I have him batting ninth against uh, right-handers because he's better against left-handers, but I want a speed connection to the top of the lineup and I have him hitting behind 
the pitcher, which is the concept that was popularized like a hundred years later by Tony La Russa and <laughs> Joe Madden and others. And just, just the idea that, you know, you could have Hardy Richardson being used in this modern role and, and seeing what he might be in a different era is just captivating to me. That name is a blast from the past, Tony La Russa. I remember when yeah. he was a man. At, oh, wait, no, never mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting, uh, interesting hire. It's got to be the first time a Hall of Famer has ever been hired to Matt. It's, it's not like basketball where these guys go into the Hall of Fame and then still coach for another 20 years, but... That's a little bit of a digression. The other thing you mentioned, Andre Dawson, he's got an interesting thing. I think he and A-Rod are the only two guys ever to win an MVP on a last place team. I believe there may be somebody, but those are the two that immediately come to mind. I think those are some good ones. So what about modern guys? When was the last update? Ah, so well, the speed update that's been going on this last offseason basically has changed the speed of 128 players out of the 743. And honestly, it's been really interesting to see because you know you change some of these guys' speed and all of a sudden you look at them differently. We had Jeter at a three-speed and it, because of the research, he's going to be a, a four-speed in the game. And, and honestly, it's going to make all the difference. It's going to make stealing so much more accessible for him. And now when you look at Jeter where for some reason in the game, the game wasn't uh, reflecting sort of, um, you know, his real value. I think now that he's a four speed, I think it will. And then we had somebody like, like Dan brothers, who was a two speed for some reason. Um, This is all very inside guard baseball, but he's going to go up to a four speed. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you're looking at another guy who I would look at in the same category as like a George Sisler, just without the defense. But uh, for some of the modern guys, who else would be good? I guess my question is also, when was the last time you added new players? Oh, yeah. So the last player who was in the league was Ichiro. Yeah, we we haven't added anybody basically in the last 10 years. And that's more because we were making sure that we were, you know, getting all the players that we had sort of set. We've got a whole list of guys that we would like to bring into the league. And we've got, as you know, a whole list of guys who are banned from the league because we kicked out the steroid guys a couple of years ago. That was my next question. Who would you really like to see of the guys who are playing now? Who do you really want to see added? I mean, I guess I can guess, you know, Trout and Miguel Cabrera, you know, guys who are definitely going to the Hall of Fame, that type of thing. So who, who, who would you like to see added in the future from the present? Let's see. I've got a list. <laughs> potential or possible let's see new players um joe mauer actually i was excited about mm-hmm. MVP, um, and, yeah. and exactly um adrian beltre scott Rowland, um clayton kershaw obviously um uh, but you know, a lot of this too is like we'll, we'll, while we're going through and doing some of the research it'll lead us to some of these old guys. Like I want to get Al Lopez in the game, who was, I think a member of the Dodgers in the forties. If I'm not mistaken, Lopez was older than that. I think he was from the thirties. Okay. Cause he then went out, he's in the hall of fame, Lopez. Yeah, I know. I can't believe we, I can't believe as a manager though. He's in. Okay. 
he was he managed the Indians and then he managed the White Sox. He was the only from 47 to 64. He was the only manager to beat out the Yankees for an AL pennant because he managed in 48. He managed the Indians and that was the team that was the team that won the World Series. That was the, the last Indian team to win the World Series with Feller and Bob Lemon, Larry Doby's rookie year, and that Satchel Page was on that team. You talk about Negro Leaguers and you know Lou Boudreau was the player manager, Hall of Famer at Straw Stop, owned by Bill Veck. And then in '54, he managed the Indians again. He was still managing the Indians. That was the team that won like 111 games but then got swept in the world series by the giants. Willie Mays makes the catch, et cetera, et cetera. And then by 59, he was the manager of the white Sox, the go-go white Sox of the late fifties, Aparicio, Nellie Fox, tech, Klazuski, that whole team. And so he was the only manager for whatever it was, 18 seasons, 19 seasons who beat the Yankees for a pennant three times. So yeah, a good player really good manager he's in the hall of fame as a manager so yeah uh, that's who al lopez was that's all yeah it's, it's stuff like that that's just amazing because you know you're going through some of these guys and i came across his name i mean i should have come across his name because he's in the hall of fame but mm. I, I came across his name when we were doing basically a league-wide look at a catcher's ability to throw a, a runner out which is you know represented in the uh, the game by a bar just a, like a line on the catcher's card and it knocks the uh, runner's speed down one. And we, we were, you know, looking at the concept of adding, not just in the original game, you could either have one bar or no bars. And then we were looking at the idea of, well, that's a very, you know, binary thing. Is there, are there more segments to this? And, and we ended up, you know, finding guys who should have two bars, guys who should have three bars and then coming across two guys in baseball history who just stand head and shoulders above everybody else and throwing people out. And that's Ivan Rodriguez and Yadier Molina. I'd imagine Molina will be a pretty quick entry whenever you oh. come around to it. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get Molina into the game as, a, as another four-bar catcher. But during this process, I came across uh, Al Lopez, and, and he is a, is a two-bar catcher. And that's a guy who can, who can throw people out, you know, really well and that's that's another thing about like the game that i i really enjoyed is that like in the process of this research you know you you had some of these defensive catchers in history that made sense on on all these real baseball teams where you know you're going to take a ray shock you're going to take uh, a jim sunberg uh, guys who can play defense and throw people out even if they they can't hit for for you know anything but they have value. And so, you know, in our research, you know, we, we see that value and then we try and figure out a way to, to make it show through in the game because we want the game to reflect, you know, real baseball at the end of it. And the thing that we always talk about, and, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're a little biased, but we, we, we always talk about how card baseball just sort of reflects, you know, actual baseball in, in so many ways. And, and in one of the ways that I like to think about, too, is in our early years, we were just, you know, we're playing hunches. 
You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't know we didn't know any of the math behind the cards. We knew that 34s and 35s were rolled more than 15s and 16s and 19s. But we just were playing these hundreds and we pick guys because, you know, we think that uh, home runs get rolled more on 24s and such like that. And and it's all the stuff that, that wasn't, um, there was no evidence behind it other than what we could see. And and then through the years, as we've all gotten, you know, very serious about it, we've got these just databases and spreadsheets with all these numbers and we've switched to like advanced metric stuff. And it's just, it's, it's mirrored in our mind, it's mirrored, you know, baseball transitioning from those early years where, you know, you're like, you, you do this cause you know, it, it, it works. But now guys, you know, they're, everybody's like, no, you, you put your, your, you know, best hitter in the two spot because you know, you not only are you going to get him, attached to the top of the lineup but you're going to benefit off of his on-base percentage and, and you know the power will come if you have a guy in nine spot two and you can pick up RBIs that way a strategy that the Yankees have embraced with Aaron Judge over the last few years I have to say so yeah I, I honestly when when I saw the page the, the major league teams doing that I started taking a look at that too and I made the switch with my team and Joe DiMaggio sat in the number two spot all year well, especially, uh, yeah, when when I do, because uh, I've done it both with, with card baseball, which I'm looking at my set over my shoulder here, and then I'm also looking at my Stratomatic uh, over my computer. When you do an all-time Yankee team, DiMaggio's a perfect two-hitter because he sets the table for Ruth and Mantle and Gehrig and, and the rest of them, and he gives you a righty in the two-slot that breaks up all the guys that hit lefty. So, I, I really liked the, the episode that you guys did on the uh, the 30-best uh National League and the 30 best uh, well, Yankee uh, players from New York early on. That was fun for me. I had a good yeah. time with that one. We had a lot of fun doing that. We have a lot of fun with these lists. We try and mix it up a little bit. We don't, we don't do all lists because, you know, we want to get sort of more of a deep dive type of thing. But we, we, we had a lot of fun with that. That was a good one to lead off with. And we actually used out-of-the-park baseball to simulate playoff series between the two the two teams, which the National League team swept in four games, believe it or yeah. not. We were, a little, we were a little surprised by that, but, you know, hey, no simulation is perfect, right? That, that Listen, in my mind, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's just baseball, or as we would say, that's just card baseball. I've, I've assembled teams that I thought would just uh, destroy the league and, you know, didn't make the playoffs or got swept, and yeah. Yeah, how many times in baseball does the best team not win in the championship. And meanwhile, in the other sports, football and basketball, especially hockey's a little quirky. Cause you know, you can get a hot goalie or the puck bounces the wrong way, but it's rare for the best team to lose in the NBA finals or to lose in the Super Bowl happened a couple of years with the Patriots, with the giants, which I'm etern- eternally thankful for, but by and large, it doesn't seem to happen. Whereas in baseball, you know, I mean the Yankees in 2000, they were like an 85 win or something team win team. And then they, they basically ran through the playoffs, beat the Mets in five games in the world series. And so it's really, it's another sort of baseball is just so quirky in that way that any team can beat another team in a game if the yankees lose to whoever the worst team is in the american league right now kansas city or whoever it's not a big story meanwhile if the lakers lose to the washington wizards it's a big deal if 
the Chiefs lose to the Jets, it's a big deal. But in baseball, with so many games and so many, you know, the the the, the margins are so close that it's not unfathomable for a team to lose. You know, I think George Will and Ken Burns baseball said the best team loses a third of the time, the worst team wins a third of the time, and then you're fighting over that middle third. So baseball is a lot of fun in that regard and in a lot of other regards as well. So talk to me a little bit about the the band, uh, not not the um, not music, but the B A N N E D. You exclude some steroid guys and maybe some others. Why? We exclude just the steroids guys. People like Pete Rose are in the game. Although thing that I was reading about um, him basically playing his entire career with a uh, corked bat casts a little bit of a, an aspersion on his uh, presence in the game. But like Joe Jackson's in the game, Pete Rose is in the game essentially because it's different from steroids, at least in our minds, because steroids basically just destroy the the. Um, the the accurate reflection of of these stats you've got players who you know pre-steroids you know they were good i mean heck even even great in the case of like barry bonds but they weren't you know stratospheric better than babe ruth i went through the trouble um when all that was happening to try and figure out which were their steroid years which were the not steroid Mm. years and create cards that sort of took the steroids out of them so that we could still sort of have them in the game. But then my dad, who's the commissioner, he's like, you know, don't worry about it. They're just gone. (laughs) We're not going to have them in the league. And for me, it's been a nice, it's been, we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed not having them in the game. And it's, it's been nice as a, a way to think about, I think it's fine that they're not in the hall of fame because I just, I'm not interested in, in people who cheat at the steroid level being in, in the Hall of Fame, I mean, I understand that, you know, gamesmanship or some form of cheating has been a part of baseball since the beginning. But for me, there was something about steroids that was different. And it, it sort of it destroys the integrity of, of these players compared to other guys. And honestly, we've been it feels like we've been better off without them. And it's informed my uh, some of my feelings about them not being included in the Hall of Fame as well. I actually have, I think, the set that you had printed up for me years ago. I think I have those guys. I at least have Bonds and Clemens. Yeah, you've got Bonds, Clemens, you've got Manny Ramirez, you've got A-Rod, you've got Mark McGuire. Mm -hmm. And all of those are out for... Yep. I'd imagine that you don't see that changing anytime soon. No, I I couldn't see letting them back in. No. I mean, that's the other thing about baseball. When you talk about why baseball works, at least on this... In, in terms of um, this board game and just sort of in general is that the stats were the stats um, and, you know, they would fluctuate through the years. The league average, you know, would get up to 290, you know, during the, the 1930s and then drop, you know, all the way to what is it like, what was it 245 last year or something like that? Yeah. And you know, it goes up and down all like that. It, and that's, that's what baseball you know, was is that not only was it, you know, you're discovering about these players and the stories, but the, the stats mattered. The, the stats mattered, you know, like these, these things, the, the, they were important, you know, um, at least to me. But, you know, Joe DiMaggio's streak is, at 56 is an important number. Hank Aaron's home run record, which I still consider to be the real home run record of 75 or 755 is a sacred number. 
and and steroids just destroyed that. They destroyed the meaning of all these other these these sort of sacred number of things that I felt were sacred about baseball. And so I've, I've I haven't had a problem. I remember I, I thought it was like a little weird that we were going to kick all these guys out. I liked having Barry Bonds on a team. You know, it was it was it was mm. a good time, but. We haven't been any worse for the wear, and honestly, I, I don't think baseball is any worse for the wear without them in the Hall of Fame. I've expressed my opinion on the podcast before about how I there was a time when I was almost militant about not having these guys in. I've now decided that it will probably be better for the future of the Hall of Fame just to let them in because it's become such an issue that, you know, and really, you're only really talking about three guys, Bonds, Clemens, and A-Rod. I think if you let those three guys in, I don't think anybody's going to beat the drum for Maguire. I certainly don't think anybody's going to beat the drum for Rafael Palmero or Sosa or any of these other guys. Ortiz is an interesting case because he only tested positive the one time, but he also played most of his career in a time where there was testing. So you have to assume that he was clean for most of his career and then also when you talk about a hall of fame type of thing or tease he also has the dh thing working against him but i don't know personally i think that if edgar martinez is a hall of famer then david ortiz with his three world series titles is sure as hell a hall of famer but we will see i'm also the guy who would like to retract or uh, contract the hall of fame because you know like i i don't think rabbit moranville should be in the hall (laughs) i don't think you know, some of these guys are, you know, despite maybe what they were in the old days. You know, and I agree with that. I just think the ship has sailed with that, which is why people say, oh, well, you're a big haul guy or a small haul guy. I'm like, and, and Andrew and I talked about this on our episode. He said, well, you know, people talk about, oh, well, nobody ever bought a ticket to see so-and-so. It's like, okay, so you're going to have a Hall of Fame of just Ruth, Mays, Cobb, and one or two other guys. You know, it's like there's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. I, I do think that the Harold Baines thing kind of yeah, really makes things interesting because there's, you know, there's other guys. I mean, I always talked about Mattingly. I mean, you're going to tell me that Mattingly with his MVP awards and, you know, six years where he was the best to one of the best two or three players in baseball. You're going to tell me he didn't have a better career than Harold Baines? Tough, but... I think, I think Madden... Actually, I'd have, to, I'd have to look at his... Um, I'd have to look at his career totals again, but Mattingly's peak was way better than Baines' peak, for sure. Without question. So, I, I don't think this is going to work. I was trying to hold this up. I don't know if you can uh, see that. The, the, nice. que- the question is, do I get a speed reevaluation? Oh yeah, what are what what is your speed? What is your speed? I was a two. So. You were a two. Wow, that was generous. I was gonna say actually at this uh, point I don't know if I want the yeah, evaluation. I was, I was a two when you were in college. Now I don't know, man. <laughs> I think you're you're maxing out at a one. What he was talking about is he did a manager card for me and it had there's no there's no stats on it or anything, but it does have a speed rating and he gave me a he gave me a two out of five for speed, which yeah, is probably generous. So when when you when you uh, when you got the joke, because I, I made I made the card and and I just you know I, I made the joke for myself because it was that's how all the cards would be. And when you got the joke, I was like, oh, oh, he's in, he's in. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those uh, jokes that you plant and then it blooms at some point. It's not a it's not an immediate payoff. Yeah. 
All right. So before we go, maybe just tell us a little bit about where you are with the league these days. Obviously, you know, everything's done remotely and the real sort of participation happens at the GM level. You know, the the games are sort of rolled by one person playing both teams by and large, I would imagine. But just give us an idea of kind of where you are with your card baseball, superstar baseball league at the moment. Yeah, um, well, we've got the 20 teams. Um, they're spread out out of uh, five teams in four divisions. Yeah, the, the regular season, well, the, the divisions were made so that basically everybody who's in uh, one area is, is in a division together. And mm-hmm. what during the, pre, <laughs> the pre-pandemic days when we could get together and play, you know, we would. And then, you know, just for the interest of speed, because, you know, we, we only, we play like a series a month and so that means that a season takes two years <laughs> to complete mm-hmm. you know it's just we just do a slow burn on that kind of stuff and so we yeah, we have the draft everybody you know we've got 17 people who have teams 17 different people who have teams we've got a couple of us who have two teams just to to get to the 20 but the dream is obviously to get to one one team one player one team or one manager one team and everybody acts as a general manager. And then if we have to play the games by ourselves, we will play them, you know, straight up because, you know, what, what good is a, uh, what good is a, a league or a, a, a competition if you're not actually seeing if uh, a team with Willie Wells and Ichiro Suzuki can, can beat a team with Ted Williams and Jimmy Fox, not Jimmy Fox, uh, Ted Williams and Wade Boggs. Turns out they could. They did one year. And you use the honor system. If I'm rolling my team against somebody else's team, you just you trust that somebody's going to manage both teams to the best of their ability. Absolutely, there was a there was a year when um, my friend Damon he couldn't play in the playoffs, and I managed his team to uh, a playoff victory over one of my teams, and then a playoff victory over my other team. <laughs> Which is why you will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. If who who is it that they always used to say that? I think it was Bear Bryant. They used to always say he could take his and beat yours, and then he could take yours and beat his, and that that applies to you in the card baseball realm. I would say you're very kind, man, and I'm <laughs> looking forward to having you for uh, season ten coming up next. Absolutely, absolutely. Season ten, incidentally, well, when the Simpsons should have stopped, but that's a, <laughs> that's another another conversation for another day. So. All right. Well, this was great. Talk a little bit about baseball, baseball history, not just about the game and, you know, the mechanics, but also why baseball and its history and its characters and its players and its stats and all of those things. Just why everything is so unique and why baseball, as much as I love the other sports, why baseball lends itself to this type of thing in a way that other sports maybe don't quite as much. So, Ben Meyer Abbott, I would like to thank you for joining us again here on Hello Old Sports. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime I can talk about card baseball, please. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Please, a reminder just to check us out. Email us at helloldsports at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Follow us, like us, rate us, leave a comment on iTunes or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Andrew will be back with me next week talking about some sort of sports history topic or another. But until next time, for Ben Meyer Abbott, I'm Dan Newman. Goodbye, old sports.
Hi everybody, it's Dan here. We strive for accuracy above all else here on the Hello Old Sports Podcast, and if you were listening closely to today's episode, you may have noticed that I made a little mistake concerning the managerial career of Hall of Famer Al Lopez. I said that he managed the Indians in 1948 and 1954, both of their American League pennant-winning years. That's actually not the case. The manager in 1948 was a player manager and Hall of Famer by the name of Lou Boudreau. Lopez didn't come to the team until the early 1950s, and he did manage the Indians to their 1954 American League pennant and then moved on to the Chicago White Sox and managed them to the pennant in 1959, losing in the World Series both years. So I apologize for the error. If you listen closely and you know your baseball history, which hopefully most of you do if you're listening to the Hello Old Sports podcast, you may have noticed that little error. So just wanted to hop on here real quick at the end and correct the record. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Hello Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.